Welcome to Didache, where we are studying to show ourselves approved, rightly dividing the word of truth so we can worship God in spirit and truth, deepening our knowledge of God, thereby enabling us to deepen our love for God. Here is your host, Justin Peters. Welcome to the program, ladies and gentlemen. I hope this finds you and yours doing well, and I want to thank you for joining me. I think this will be our last installment of our series on the shack. I'm joined by my friend and pastor, Jim Osman. Jim, in our last program, we'll just dive into it because we've got a lot of ground to cover. In our last program, we talked about the issues of uh, God's sovereignty and his omniscience, how that was very much undermined in the book, and another big area of heresy in both the book and the movie is that of um, universalism. And there have been charges of universalism. Some of the Shack's defenders say, oh no, William Paul Young's not a universalist, but in fact he is a universalist. By his own admission, he's a hopeful, he calls himself a hopeful Universalist. So before, as leading into universalism, kind of as a, going up the heretical mountain here, uh, in the movie we see that sin is excused. Uh, the reason Mac's father abused him when Mac was a boy is because Mac's father in turn was abused when he was a boy. So he wasn't really responsible. There's a scene, remember the scene in the movie where it showed a brief picture of a terrorist with a gun? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Remember that? Yep. A terrorist is only a terrorist because he had a bad upbringing. That was the clear implication. It's not what they stated, but as 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 a, uh, it's a character called Wisdom who is showing this to Mac at the time, right? And uh, you know she sees is who is this, and he sees this vision of him being beaten as a child. He says, "Well, that's me." And who is this? And he sees another vision of of this other child being beaten. He said, I don't know. She said, that's your father. And all of a sudden it's like, he realizes, Oh, the reason my father beat me is because his father beat him. And then she goes on to explain all these other acts of terror. You just, these things or all of these other acts of evil. These things happen, but because these other people had horrible upbringings as well, as if it is the rapist and the murderer and the thief and the terrorist and the rapist and all these people, these things, they only do these things because they too had horrible upbringings. So now since you have had a horrible upbringing like them, you can somewhat relate to what it is that causes them to do the horrible things that they do. Yeah. So people aren't, they're not really responsible for their sin. No, sin sin is part of their environment. If they hadn't grown up in such a horrible environment, they wouldn't be such, do such horrible things. They would be good people because after all, people are good. We are all inherently good at heart. We're all inherently good. Say that tongue-in-cheek, obviously, just in case that slipped past you. But uh, So, yeah, so nobody, and even the murderer, even the murderer, even the guy who killed the little girl, he only did that because he had a bad upbringing. Yeah, well, Mac is, is struggling with forgiveness, forgiving the murderer. Um, the papa figure says to him, um, even the murderer, he is my child as well. Yes, yes. he, And that, that gets right into the universalism. In the movie, dear friends, I kid you not, Papa actually says that the man who remained unnamed in the movie, I believe, right? Yeah, I think he did. Never had his name given. But the murderer in the movie who killed the little girl, Papa says, quote, he is my son as well. Clear implication that with no evidence in the movie that this murderer ever repented. Mm -hmm. No evidence of that. But he belongs to Papa. And when he dies, he's going to go to heaven. 
so clearly uh, universalism is is woven all throughout the movie. In one at one point, Jim in the movie Mac, one of Papa's favorite phrases is, "Oh, I'm especially fond of, I'm especially fond of you. I'm especially yeah. fond of him." Papa was especially fond of Neil Young, who I'm just discovering is, I think, a musician from the '70s. I, I think. Um, Papa was listening to Neil Young in his or her earbuds. I'm especially fond of all these people. And, and Max says, is there anyone you're not especially fond of? And Papa replies, quote, nope, haven't been able to find any. Talk to us about that. Osama bin Laden, Adolf Hitler, Mao Zedong, those who are responsible for the Cambodian killing fields, the rapists, the murderers, the impenitent. Pol yeah, Pol Pot, uh, Castro. Papa's fond of all of these people. And it denies... Uh, uh, something that a lot of Christians struggle with, which is the idea that God might have a passionate hatred for sinners and for these particular sins. It's as if the, the, the Papa just overlooks all of these things because she's just, uh, her heart is just aflame with love <laughs> for these different people, no matter what they have done or no matter who they are. Right. It's just, it, all of that she feels is just this affection and fondness for these people, no matter how blasphemous or vile these people are, or how hideous their sin is. And um, Scripture affirms that, uh, Scripture says that God hates the sinner. There are passages that teach that, that there are, is Anger with... burns against the wicked every day. Yeah, that there is within God both a love for the sinner, not a redeeming love, but a love that God has for the sinner because it is a creature, but at the same time, a hatred for that sinner because of that sinner's sin. Right. And we, we have to affirm both of those if we're going to be true to Scripture. And uh, the shack denies that element of God, God's hatred for sin, and, um, and and as if there is just nothing that the murderer can do or anybody could do, which might cause God to be angry or wrathful in any way. Right. In fact, in one scene, Mac actually mentions wrath to Papa. He says something about your your wrath. And, and what about your wrath? He asks the question. Wrath? What about your wrath? And Papa responds by saying, "Quote: This is from Papa. Wrath." You lost me there. I, I don't need to punish people. Sin is its own punishment. And in the book of the, of the shack, Papa says, quote, it's not my purpose to punish sin. It's my joy to cure it. So a flat out denial of one of the, the attributes of God, God's wrath. You can't understand the mercy of God until you understand the wrath of God. And the wrath Apart of God. From, we are called children of wrath children of before wrath. we are saved. And we are, Romans chapter 5, verse 9, we are saved from the wrath of God. Mm -hmm. it, it, the, the wrath of God is all throughout Scripture, and yet Papa, God in the shack, almost like she doesn't even know what he's talking about. Wrath, what are you talking about? You lost me there. Yeah, in the theology of William P. Young, God has nothing to be angry with because we're not really responsible for sin. Right. Right. Sin is just these horrible circumstances that sort of land upon us that uh, just happen to us and that we're not responsible for it. And so how can God be angry with the wicked? How can God be wrathful over sin? How can God pour out his punishment and his anger against the wicked uh, for their rebellion if they're not, in fact, responsible for that rebellion? Right. And I, I think that is that is one of the great tragedies and dangers of this movie and book is that it absolutely portrays that everyone will be reconciled to God. This is in keeping with William P. Paul Young's self-labeled hopeful universalism. There's a scene in which uh, Papa and Mac are speaking in the movie, 
and they're talking about, or this is in the book, pardon me. They're, they're having a conversation and Mac, they're talking about people being reconciled to Papa. And Mac says, Papa says the whole world will be reconciled to me. And Mac says the whole world, you mean those who believe in you, right? And Papa responds, quote, the whole world, Mac. So there it is. I mean, a flat out denial of hell, denial of hell, Mm -hmm. denial of hell, denial of wrath. And, and this uh, blatant affirmation that everyone, everyone will ultimately be reconciled to God. Now I heard in the interview that I recorded from TBN just the other night, William Paul Young takes Romans chapter eight and he uses that as a proof text for universalism, his version of universalism, that uh, nothing will separate us from the love of Christ. Uh, so talk to us about that. What What is the... That promises to believers. Right. Nothing can separate a believer from the love of Christ. But That is not to the... But if you, if you do not believe, if you will not repent and believe the gospel and embrace the clemency and forgiveness that are offered through Jesus Christ, then you will be separated from the goodness and the love of God for all of eternity. That is God's promise. And to... To deny that or to minimize the punishment of God or the justice of God on sinners in hell is, again, to create a false God. It is to present God wrongly. God is a God of wrath. He is a God of love, yes, but he's also a God of wrath. And and the, the mercy of God is not understood or appropriate appreciated unless the wrath of God is clearly understood. If there's no wrath... Then there's then then there's no there's no glory to God in His atonement of saving us from that wrath, right. and and what then is the gospel? What does the gospel save us from? There's no there's no need to repent. There's no need to believe. There's no need to submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ. There's no there's no need to get our doctrine right for any of that. If we're all going to be saved in the end, if God is going to reconcile the whole world to Himself, then there's no need to um, understand or know the gospel at all. So that's a false gospel. William P. Young then has a false view of sin and a false view of the gospel and a false view of the wrath of God. And he has a, his God does not exist. His God is an idol that does not exist. Yes. He's, he's made a God after his own image. Mm-hmm. As, yeah. He has no wrath. He's not mad about sinners or sinners. William P. Young would never punish anybody for eternity in hell. And so the God that he created based upon his reflection in the mirror, neither will that God cre- punish anybody in hell. Right. And, and Jim, the, the the popularity of this book that it has been so widely accepted by professing believers, and that the movie is out there making whoever knows how many millions of dollars it's making, people are going to see it. It it speaks to it speaks to man's propensity to idolatry. Mm-hmm. I think, and it and also is a very sad testimony to the profound biblical illiteracy of the vast majority of people who proclaim to be Christians. Yeah, there is there is within the movie words and phrases that are said that that sound like they are Christian and I think that those appeal to people but people are people are in our culture are used to the most shallow of Christian environments. They're not used to profound and deep preaching. They're not used to profound and deep singing. They don't read profound and deep books. They don't read the Puritans. They don't read uh, their Bibles thoroughly or a lot. They're, we are not a biblically literate culture, even within professing and marked evangelicalism. Right. It, is, it is a shallowness that is almost unprecedented, certainly unprecedented in American history. I don't know of any time when the church has been so biblically illiterate, so lacking in discernment, and so shallow as it is today. 
and yet, and look what's look what's churned out in bookstores. Look what yeah. you get in bookstores. It is inevitable. It is the bookstores are shallow because they are catering to where the church or professing yeah. Christianity is. Yeah, and I tell people if you want a, an idea of the state of Christianity, just turn on your Christian your television. All Christian TV is, and I use that term loosely, Christian. All Christian TV is is a function of supply and demand. Whatever the demand is, that's what they're going to supply. Mm-hmm. So when you turn on Christian, when you turn on TBN, Daystar, INSB, all these, you don't see John MacArthur, you don't see Alistair Bay, you don't see Steve Lawson, you don't see Jim Osmond, you don't see, uh, you know, uh, any of these any expositors. You see Joel Osteen, Joyce Meyer, Benny Hinn. You know all that. So it's it's a it's a sad state. And what's so ironic? As you said, there's never been a time when American society, which is supposedly a Christian nation, quote unquote, we have never been more biblically illiterate than we are now. And yet there has never been a time when biblical truth has been more readily available. Never. No. Between the Internet and technology, what we have, uh, we've never had more more truth available to us than we do today. With a couple of clicks of the mouse, you can get... Every sermon that John MacArthur has ever preached, you can listen to it. You can read transcripts of it within a, a couple of clicks of the mouse. You're right there. Mm-hmm. It's never been more accessible, and so it's it's a but the people do not have a hunger for it, right? So it's the state of the soul of modern evangelicalism, right? It's what we're seeing. Uh, what Paul said in Second Timothy four that people will no longer endure sound doctrine, right? Will heap to themselves teachers who tickle their ears. So it, it it's um it, it's a sad state of affairs, but we don't we don't despair as those who have no hope. We know that God will always have His faithful remnant. Mm-hmm. And everywhere I go, all over the world, I run into like-minded believers who are hungry for the truth of God's word. I don't care if I'm in Africa, in the Philippines, in Brazil, Europe. They're there. They're there. Just fewer and. Yeah. Between. yeah, and, and it, is, it is the professing church, it is the shallow-minded church, the church without any discernment as to who their God is or what God or how their God works that is buying up this book. Um, you and I went and supported the movie only so that we could see it to critique it, right. but that is going to be the, the small fraction of what the movie makes. Most people who name the name of Christ and attend church on Sundays um, are going that are going to go see this movie are going to be embracing it. They're going to love it. They're going to think it's great. They're going to see it because they think it's great because they read the book. And uh, when they get there and see the movie, they're not going to see anything wrong with it. And that truly is tragic. I, and one of the first things I said to you when we got back in the car was, I don't know what was worse, the movie or listening to all the Christians around us, 40 people in the theater, affirming it by moaning and groaning and applauding and clapping and laughing at all the right moments. You know, they thought this was great. They, yeah. they thought it was awesome. Right, right. That was truly just tragic to hear that, that that in the theater of 40 people, there were only two of us that were just shaking our heads, wondering what in the world is going on here. But that is just a testimony to the lack of discernment and and clear thinking amongst the people who should belong to God. I had, uh, you know, when we were leaving, I motored my scooter over and I was handing out gospel tracts as people were leaving the theater. And one of the ladies that I gave a gospel tract to, she says, uh, I've seen you before. And I said, oh, yeah, you, you came to our church, and uh, I, I heard your seminar. <laughs> and I was like, oh, man. Groaner. I was like, oh, wow. Well, either 
either you didn't learn anything, weren't listening, or I failed miserably in my task. So, uh, so, I, and I don't think she was there for the reasons that you and I were there. Her two favorite preachers are Joel Osteen and Justin Peters. Yeah, yeah. You say that. I literally, I was in a Lifeway store one time, and I promise you, I had a lady tell me that her two favorite preachers were John MacArthur and Joel Osteen. She said that with a straight face. And I was like, I, I was speechless. I have what, no what words. You, I have no words. What do you say to that? But, uh, wow. Uh, and two, this whole, Jim, it seems like every few years, and I want to get to the sufficiency of Scripture, it's where I'm headed with this, the sufficiency of God's Word. Every few years, or even more often than that, every year or so, it, there's this new shiny object that comes down the evangelical pipeline. The fads blow through evangelicalism like like chaff through a, a mill. It I mean, was a strong wind. They just come and go. They come and go. The Daniel yeah. Diet, the 40 Days of Purpose. I mean, we could list them. We could go prayer on and Jabez. on. Yeah, the Prayer of Jabez. Uh, it, it just... Passion of the Christ. Yeah, it, and it, it really is tragic because Christians, because they are... The Christian church is ignorant not because people are especially stupid in our day. It is because the leadership of the church, the pastors of the church, the shepherds who should have stood at the gate and fended off the wolves and are responsible for teaching God's people have failed miserably in that task, by and large. And so people are ignorant because they are sheep without a shepherd. And that is a tragedy. Um, They have no discernment because they do not have men in the pulpit who stand there to give them that wisdom and discernment. But at the same time, these people obviously are desiring that, and so they go there and they attend there, and that has just created an environment where finding truth is very difficult. But those fads come and go in the church because people cannot discern um, discern the truth, and because they can't discern the truth, consequently, when some flashy object comes along that offers them a, a quick fix for this or a great program for that or a quick growth method for this or three steps of sanctification or the latest answer to the suffering problem of suffering and evil, which is what the shack proposes, then they glom onto it because they have not been given enough biblical truth to understand that scripture is sufficient to answer this objection or this question or this difficulty. I don't need to go running off to the shack and get the movie down and buy the book. Scripture is it's scripture is sufficient to handle this. Right. It is, and, and that, that's where the real battle is being fought today. Not so much, at least not theoretically, over the inerrancy of Scripture. Any evangelical would at least have to give lip service that he believes that. But the real battle is over the sufficiency of God's Word, and we are losing that battle. All these fads that come through, uh, it's its evidence of that, that most, the vast majority of professing believers do not believe in the sufficiency of Scripture. And so they flock to these movies every time one comes out. Um, this one is supposed to change the world. That's what they said on TBN. It's going to change the world. They said the same thing about the Passion of the Christ. And Yet our world still seems to be just like it was, even worse than it was when the Passion of the Christ came out. Right, right. And I'll give you a prediction. Okay. I'm not a prophet or the son of a prophet. Lay it on, man. <laughs> <laughs> My prediction is that when this fad is long past and the, the shack is collecting dust on people's shelves, that... The, this world will not be changed any better than it was before the shack was released. Yeah. It's not going to be any better. Our apologies to our post-millennial friends. The world's not going to get any better. <laughs> Certainly not as a result of the shack. Not as a result. Unless of God were to bring reformation to his church and revival to the world. Yeah. It's not going to improve. Yeah. 
Dear friends, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God stands forever. And if, as um, in Luke 16, if they will not hear Moses, if they will not hear the prophets, neither will they believe, even if somebody were to rise from the dead. In other words, there is an inherent power in God's word that is found nowhere else. Nowhere else. Jim, in our last few minutes here, um, tell us, most of our listeners probably know who you are, but uh, tell us a little bit about who you are in the books that you you have some great resources available. I want everybody to know to know about. Oh, yeah, I appreciate that. Um, I, I'm the pastor, one of the pastors. We have four pastors at our church currently at Kootenai Community Church, and uh, I'm one of four pastors there. I happen to be the the primary preaching elder that does the bulk of the preaching, though I share that workload with other very gifted and capable men. Um, uh, I wrote uh, I, I wrote. I've written two books. One is called Truth or Territory, a biblical approach to spiritual warfare that deals with uh, demons and exorcisms and Satan and whether we should be binding Satan and canceling curses. And it presents an approach to spiritual warfare that is founded upon the truth, that presents the spiritual warfare as a battle for the truth and not a battle over territory. And then I follow that up with a book on, on um, heaven visitations called Selling the Stairway to Heaven, Critiquing the Claims of the Heaven Tourists. And in that book, I address the... Uh, Don Piper book, 90 Minutes in Heaven, the Todd and Colton Burpo book, Heaven is for Real, and a book by a man named Eben Alexander called Proof of Heaven. And each one of them makes different claims regarding heaven and the afterlife and who God is and how God has revealed himself. And I deal with all three of those books and have a chapter on the problem with all heaven visitations, no matter what type of a visitation it might be or no matter who might propose that they are have visited, have visited heaven uh, or had a vision of God. And ironically, that kind of ties into The Shack, because to spoil the ending of the movie The Shack, what you find out is not that he actually had a real visit with uh, Papa and Sarayu and Jesus, but that this was all a vision, probably a near-death or a experience that he had while he was unconscious after a car accident. Uh, so my book would deal with some of those issues. And then uh, I'm writing a third one, or I've written a third one. It should be available by the time these episodes air. And that is uh, called The Prosperity of the Wicked, a study of Psalm 73. And in there we deal with issues like divine punishment, the sovereignty of God over over evil, um, the goodness of God, uh, the issues of common grace, um, whom, to whom is God good and how is God good, uh, what does eternity reveal about the true pr- purpose of God prospering or allowing the wicked people to prosper, and is it a good thing, and how and when and why and where will God judge them, and what should our view of prosperity be. And I deal with that in Psalm in that study of Psalm 73. Yeah. All right. And they can get your books where? Uh, truthortherritory.com is the best place because that's easier than spelling out kootenaychurch.org. You can link to the church website and you go to truthortherritory.com and, and there are links to all of the Amazon sites where you can buy those books and you can sign up for a newsletter there that will, in, will that will let you know. And I won't spam you, but I will let you know when books are available, when resources are available or events are happening. And I've, I send out very few emails to people. Uh, if you want to follow the ministry of Kootenai Church, you can go to our website that's linked at Truth or Territory, but it's kootenaichurch.org, K-O-O-T-E-N-A-I church.org, and you can sign up for the newsletter there. And I try and send that out once a week just to let people know what's going on with their ministry and our building and other things that are happening and pass along resources and such. And the proceeds from these books go to uh, fund your private jet and your air-conditioned doghouse. Right after we get the new <laughs> facility finished, which we are currently uh, 
Uh, we are currently building a new facility to house our worship and ministry, and and hopefully we are hoping that, Lord willing, we could be in by the end of 2017. That's kind of an unofficial goal, and and uh, that's what we're shooting for, and, and we're hoping that uh, in God's providence that he might provide for us so that we can do that. And uh, finally, after 14, 15 years of being in a rented facility, have our own uh, church ministry uh, yeah. facility. So that's that's what we're trusting the Lord for. And uh, all of the proceeds from all of the books go to that until I die. Then they go to my wife and children. So if you hear that I've died, please go out and buy another copy of my book. Do it for the children. <laughs> Do it for the kids. All right. Jim, thanks so much for joining me, brother. I appreciate Thank it. Thank you. It's always a joy to be here in the lavish Justin Peters radio program recording studio. <laughs> yeah, the golden uh, microphone, right? <laughs> Actually, not so much charcoal, but all right. Thank you very much, dear ones, for joining me. Until our next time together, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Thank you for listening to Didache. We hope that you were encouraged and edified by what you just heard. If you have a question or comment for Justin, or interested in more teaching resources, or would like to have him come and preach at your church or conference, you may contact him at justinpeters.org.